A warm welcome to the ninth edition of the Shoegazing Podcast with me, Jesper Ingevaldsson, who run the blog Shoegazing.com. This time you will meet Robin Shang, founder of the leading quality shoe store in Taiwan. It's called Oak Room, located in the capital, Taipei. He has been involved in the shoe business for many, many years and is considered one of the foremost experts on the classic shoe industry in Asia. In this episode, we will focus on the situation for factories making classic quality shoes as well as bespoke shoemakers in Asia, outside of Japan. It's a topic that many in Europe or the US know very little of. And things are happening quickly in this part of the world. This industry has come further than many believe. We will talk about how China has already moved away from being a low-cost production country for shoes. Nowadays it's countries like Laos and Vietnam where manufacturing of quality shoes is growing the quickest. This has meant that we now see a lot of new Chinese independent shoemakers making fully handmade shoes raised in a shoe industry that in parts had moved on and now thanks to social media they can reach customers themselves. We also talk about, for example, how the very affordable, often very well-made Asian-made quality shoes will be pushing European manufacturers as they come into play as proper competition. And we'll go into the situation with customers in domestic countries and much, much more. So you have a very informative half an hour in front of you. Enjoy! Robin Shang, yes. well, welcome to the Shoegazing Podcast. Thank you very much, it's an absolute great pleasure. Yeah, I'm very yeah, happy uh, to have you part of it. And definitely a great pleasure to finally meet you in yeah, person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you assume, or you already had it, uh, your five year celebration with uh, Oak Room? Last week. Last week, Last yeah. Week. Uh, so, what is Oak Room for those who don't know? Oh, we are store based in Taipei, Taiwan, which is my home country, and uh, it's a men's gentleman's store, but uh, it's a strong focus in shoes, which is my main interest. Yeah. But we also have suits and bags and whatnot. But yeah. What's your lineup of shoes? Lineup uh, currently, uh, we have uh, John Love, yeah. Crockett Jones, Alden, and we also have uh, Evergreen, Carmina. Okay. Yeah. And we're also having a, a new store coming soon. Yeah, yeah, And because our lineup is getting more and more. Yeah. You know, so, so we're going to have, for example, Carmina yeah. as a main offering for the other store. And so it will not bump with yeah, okay. shows, they will, stuff, yeah. yeah, not compete with mm. each other, but complement yeah. each other. So, mm. a bit, yeah. so is, is it also in Taipei? Yes, it's Taipei. Yeah. Mm. All right, cool. Um, so, and how, how is the interest in classic men's shoes um, in Taiwan? Surprisingly, it's been very, very steady mm. for classic shoes. I think it's, for us, at least, it's more steady than, for example, suits, classic suits. Shoes, uh, I think most people, they recognize that having good shoes probably will, will improve their, like, their looks. I mean, mm. More than a suit, so it's the easiest way other than other than a, other than a watch probably mm. to enhance your looks. Mm. For quality shoes, of course. Yeah, yeah. For people in Taiwan, they don't really wear as much formal or suits. Okay. As, compared to maybe Hong Kong. 
So the shoes, it's not exactly black shoes that sells well, but but there's still lots of people really like quality shoes. Yeah, yeah. But you really, in general, you're a bit more casual than uh, yeah, Hong Kong. Oh, Hong Kong yeah, yeah. And you, you have sort of been one of the pioneers in spreading the word, word about uh, yeah, Japanese <laughs> uh, classic shoes to the rest of the yeah. world. Uh, so, so what made you want to do this push, mm. so to speak? Uh, back then I was actually still living in Japan. That was like maybe like eight, seven, eight years ago. And, and I like shoes and I have lots of friends in the, in the shoe industry, mainly as a customer. And I thought that Star Forum, which I've been a member, had given me so much. I've learned so much from it. So it's, I think it's not just for me, but everyone else on the forum tried to co- contribute something too. So I thought oh, I know shoes and I have a close proximity with them. I can speak that language. So why not like, introduce some of it by show and tell pictures. And yeah, it's, like, it's great that the, the reaction was great. It, lots of people was really interested in it. I think there's already some interest around the world, but they just had no access to it. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah a lot of uh, my first uh, encounters mm. with many of the Japanese makers yeah. comes to start for I guess it's just English, not, not in English language. In Japanese language, if you search on the web, you'll find a lot, but just unfortunately. Mm. Yes. And the shoemakers themselves, most of them, they don't, they don't speak English and definitely could not promote themselves no. in English. So. Especially back then. Yeah. You know, which was sort of before the Instagram boom mm, and yeah. all that. Uh, so the Japanese uh, men's shoe market yeah. obviously is quite developed, mm. uh, but today uh, we will focus on the situation in the rest of Asia. Yeah. Uh, so starting about talking about factory-made uh, goodly welted mm. or hand-welted shoes, but factory-made shoes. Yeah. Uh, if we sort of generalize a bit, how was the situation in Asia during the late uh, 1900s? Mm. I think back then the China was still like the main factory for many brands, especially in Japan too. I know Regal, Union, Imperial, and others. They all had uh, joint factories in China, and also many European brands, fashion brands, Armani, and whatnot. They all, they all had shoes made in China too. Maybe rebadged them back there, but. I think uh, China was the main area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was also Goodyear welted. Goodyear welted, yeah. and uh, some of the companies I know they're owned by, for example, people Hong Kong or Taiwanese, Taiwanese invested companies, and they made Goodyear introduce Goodyear welted mm. technology there. Mm. So they sort of have a history, um, but mainly in China. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And since then, but. Most significantly, maybe seven years ago, 2012 or so, in China they really hiked the, the wages. Yeah. So now all the companies moved down to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Yeah, exactly. That's, that has been the trend. Yeah, because yeah, there we see more and more factories uh, mm. popping up, so to speak. Yeah. Mm. So is it that factories are moving from China, China. I would say, yeah. down to Laos and mm. uh, Vietnam. Uh, and with that, also maybe the skilled supervisors, skilled managers, some of them are even Japanese or Taiwanese, they all moved down with them. Mm-hmm. So the whole management moved down to, away from China. Oh, yeah. yeah. It started happening when, do you say? 2012? I think around, yeah, 2012, 2000, yeah. 2014. That's when lots of companies started moving down. Mm. 
Laos, there's a, there's a big Taiwanese-owned factory too that makes for European and Japanese brands. Mm. Vietnamese shoes. Oh, there's several famous Japanese brands that have a joint, joint mm. factory, so like Profeto, for example. Yeah, mm. yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and they make for Zetan and everybody else. Yeah, I know Union. Yeah, Union too. It's a factory. Mm. It's, um, but uh, for us, living in um, uh, Europe, yeah. I would say that uh, it's just only the first... Uh, maybe five years or so yeah. that we started seeing Asian made yeah Asian made shoes actually marketed as yeah. uh, Asian yeah, made uh, and uh, perhaps most of them actually are from China mm. so the, the production is still strong in China or production is still strong I mean it's still strong and companies like Regal in Japan I'm naming about Japanese brands because because they are really big and yeah. uh, they offer us a lot no, they still make lots of shoes in China. They also have a factory there. I think they invested a lot to begin with. So it doesn't make sense for them to move to move out. Mm. Mm. And we see that a lot of menswear and men's shoe stores yeah. are gaining traction in Asia. In, yeah. uh, I mean, in all the both China and uh, mm. uh, South Korea, yeah. Vietnam mm. also. Uh, the, do you think the interest will continue to grow? Um, I think the interest will continue to grow, but I think the market outside Japan and Korea is still very small. Mm. It's still, uh, even compared to, I mean, relative to the population. Yeah, exactly. It's still very, very small. And, and in, like, even in Taiwan, yes, Tai Taiwan, Taipei has a population maybe 5 million. That's a big city, but um, it's not exploding the, the market for classic shoe. suits especially it's not really exploding but there are more interest mm. more interest in uh, more from young people but a lot of these like niche brands like tailored and more craftsman oriented brands uh, for most Asians they, they're still concerned luxury item yeah now, they're not cheap at all but in, in, you picture it that there will be such a huge potential mm. uh, if uh, of course, the just a, of it, yeah. yeah, exactly. Just a mm. small, more part would yeah. uh, start wearing uh, classic shoes mm. in, for example, China. Then yeah. I mean that it would be mm. <laughs> a lot of shoes yeah. to sell. Uh, but these like more value or customer oriented. This trend it's been around in the fashion industry in the past few years already. So like big brands, they try to incorporate these aspect into into their brand. Mm. Having oh, we have a bespoke show, or mm. like we, we also offer custom-made or MTO shoes. So I think those uh, kind of probably, so the fashion brands, they're a strong competition for niche brands like us because they're also offering more like tailored service too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But for, um, oh, I, for me, one of the most uh, exciting parts to see mm. in the past few years is the opening of the medallion shoes oh, shops in Shanghai mm. and Beijing. Yeah. I haven't visited, yeah. but you've seen the films and the yes. pictures, and they look like yeah. amazing places. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but I heard they're amazing. Yeah. And the sales are amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why I think that, okay, this is uh, yeah. something that will uh, uh, continue yeah. to rise. Mm. Yeah, China, of course, there's plenty of consumers too. Yeah. And even if a fashion of them move away from big fashion brands to more these class-normative brands, that's still a, still a big, big market for yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Mm. 
but it's a bit interesting because it's just very few of those menswear stores mm. in China and other population. Yeah. 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 And those who are, um, they don't sell shoes made in Asia, it's mainly European yeah. or American. Mm. Why do you think that is? Well, there's, unfortunately, there's still a stigma about made in China or made in Asia. And I think the stigma is also there for the craftsmen themselves. And they know they can make something really well and probably better better or equal to Europeans and Japanese. But they're still afraid to really proudly stand on made in China and have their own brand. They don't think it will succeed. Yeah, so it's like the stigma is both on the makers and also for the consumers, I think, yeah. unfortunately. But, but there's a, there are really great craftsmen of there, of course. Yeah, yeah, I've seen. I mean, we have a few uh, made in China shoes mm. here uh, at the moment, and I mean, they are literally incredible, mm. especially considering what the, the price, price is. Point, yeah. yeah. The price point, so, yeah, of course. But uh, would there be more Asian made shoes in the store in Asia, would you say? What um, do you think the direction would go? Yeah, I think with the, the perspe- per- perception is definitely changing and because of course, if people look for value versus quality, quality versus value proposition, some of these Asian brands that used to not have a good finish, now they're made quite well and solid. I think people really, people accept that. And that's, that's natural, not just for people in Asia, but around the world. Mm-hmm. People still start to not look at the made in what, what, what now, but they still look, they can understand, consumers can understand the quality. Yeah, they start looking at the shoes yeah. and not where it's mm. made. Yeah. Yes, and leather, they see material, they see stitching and the last. And lots of the Asian shoemakers, they have, a, they, have a, they have built up quite a long, I mean, resume already. So I think they can sell shoes that definitely would be world. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, uh, what about Europe and the US? Uh, the classic shoe market is sort of a real exception here because we only see very few yeah. Asian-made goods, uh, yeah. at least labeled there when we talk about uh, this sort mm. of luxury classic yeah. shoes. Uh, yeah. w- will this change, you think? In Europe and America? Yeah, in, yeah, in Europe and mm. America, because they're in a lot of sectors. Yeah. I mean, made in China, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. also mm. for luxury yeah. clothing. Mm. We see that a lot, yeah. uh, or made in different Asian countries. But when it comes to classic mm. shoes, there's very few uh, with the made in China stamp or similar. Yeah. I think if they see something, they they can actually see a quality. I think it'll easily change the perception. Yeah. Like in Japan too, it's like the big stigma against made in China and whatnot. But I've actually been surprised going to Isetan and oh, they're, they're totally fine selling like made in Indonesia, made in Vietnam. If they see it, the quality and the value is good, I think. Consumers, mm. they change quickly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially we, if the price is good, of course. And now with, um, um, I mean, with Instagram and yeah. social media mm. and the internet uh, opening up everything. Mm. They change perceptions quickly. Yeah, fast. it's easy for for us in Europe mm. or uh, other places around the world to see how well made they look uh, and uh, hear about the uh, reception of the Asian-made yeah. shoes. I was quite surprised how this past few years, uh, how Instagram helped out offering, in this case, Japanese shoes. Because mm. if the language is barrier, but then why not just use the visuals? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you exactly, you've seen it in for Japanese shoes, mm. and now it's starting to come more and more with uh, 
other, uh, I mean, Indian may choose, yes, Chinese, yes. Uh, Vietnam, mm. they start to like get a reputation yeah. also in, in the social platforms. Yeah. Like for example, the Chinese shoemaker, Yim shoemaker, Gray Yim, and because I know he, he did most of the work for collaborating with a, like a Japanese store. Yeah. And probably just known in Japan, even in Japan he was known as the yeah, exactly. unknown, unknown shoemaker because yeah. he did. It's great gym. Yeah, it was yeah. him, but in Japan it was an unknown shoemaker. Yeah. Because maybe the, the, the Japanese company bought him, they didn't want to put his name on. But now it's like, explicit, it's like, it's like his interest is in our world. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, same thing as you for the uh, World Championship in shoemaking. Mm, oh yeah, it was the tour. Right? Very nice. I mm. think you ended up in 12 oh, places or something like that. Still, yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. So, well, Chinese shoemaker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, I think we had a couple of other entries from, mm -hmm. Asian, yeah, from other Asian countries, then and we will continue to yeah. see that and yeah. see that. Uh, yes, I think really it was two from China. Right? Yeah, maybe like yeah. that. Yeah, because mm. uh, how well, how good are Asian made shoes mm. uh, today? Asian welted shoes. Welted shoes, or for example, like the very popular brand in Japan called Jalan's Surabaya. It's made in Indonesia, mm. but they've been making shoes for Japanese and other com European companies for like 50 years. And they definitely have the skill and the know-how. And, and for example, they make for United Arrows, and they also make for Armani. Mm. So they, they have a great repertoire too. And their price value point is, 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 is great. And I, I, just, I just want to see the shoes and the Expo today. I think they're very well made. For the price, even for maybe 10,000 yen difference for the made in Japan shoes, there are, there are going to be customers who will, who will could seriously consider that. Mm -hmm. um, and if we talk a little bit about the bespoke yeah. shoe scene in Asia, mm -hmm. uh, excluding Japan, yeah. uh, how is the situation here? Mm. And for example, in China, uh, the, the handmade shoes we see today, that's a situation different from maybe Europe and Japan that it's hard to pinpoint like who they learn from. They don't they didn't go to Europe or in, even Japan or England to learn make shoemaking. They're mostly factory workers. Factory workers and, and there's no like big shoe school either. So they learn their basics from a factory and which include like assembly line, yeah. assembly line shoemaking, but they also learn how to do uh, hand-sewn making because perhaps some European companies they, they want them to make those shoes. Yeah, exactly. They make... Uh, so they have a wide variety yeah. of... Yeah, in China and Asia in general, we should say mm. that, that also in factories yeah. you have hand yeah, welding, mm. which you don't really have in Europe or the US anymore. Mm. There it's only good you're welding, but here people are still hand stitching shoes mm. to a higher degree in the factories. Yeah. I feel that uh, they, they do shoemaking for a living and might not really aspire to become an artist shoemaker, kind of like Japan or elsewhere. They're just making shoes for a living. And once, uh, for example, since a few years ago, they started to have less job because the factories are moving out from China. So, but so, and now they can find a new set of clients who want them to make more higher end, mm. higher end shoes, and they can definitely comply. They know they have the know how, mm. and but they have the skill, but probably not the exposure. 
exposure and knowledge from people elsewhere in the world, in Japan and elsewhere. And I think with what's happening lately is that designers or brands from outside, they go to China to ask them to yeah. choose and yeah. they teach them the know-how which they previously didn't have. Just as finishes and finishing and the details, which for them is it's learnable because they have the basic set of skills. And I think the shoes that comes out from mainly from from the brands from outside China, mm. but made in China. Yeah, I think I think they're improving drastically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Drastically, mm. even for like Yim Shoemaker, uh, he collaborated with a Japanese yeah. store and he probably have samples and shoes of other brands to look at, which improves his his yeah his, his more like aesthetics. Mm. The reason why lots of brands, for example, Taiwan, would not go to make in Europe, Italy or England, which they can, they, they can of course, because the factories in England, they accept OEM orders from around the world. And why choose China, of course, language, proximity, and so in that, that's the, the, main, the main reason. And the price point is that's very competitive compared to what they have in Japan or Europe. Uh, like, I think the the Yim Shoemakers around 1,000 euro, 1,200 euro mm. for the full handmade, full handmade shoes. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And this brand I have here, the Taiwanese brand that's also have... Yeah, Grouchy Taipei, yeah. 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 Mm. It's like 700 euros, which yeah. is, is very competitive for what they offer. Yeah, because it's hand-welted with handmade mm. uh, waist, uh, stitch, yeah. stitch, sole stitch at the waist, and then yeah. only the... So stitch mm. in front is machine made. Yeah, because yeah, this brand Grazia, which is founded by a good friend of mine, his mm. name is Wilbur, Wilbur too. I think it demonstrates well how these made in made in Asia shoes are kind of the quality is really mm. growing because um, a good friend, good friend of mine is a designer, he's a patina artist who who helped Berluti in Taiwan too. So he's mm. he's been around for a while doing patina. And he designed the last himself, and he got the contract for the leathers. Mm-hmm. These are for Bonaldo, which is top grade for patina. Yeah. And then he went fine in China, the art for the craftsmen, two, two or three craftsmen in Shanghai. And it took him two or three years to properly teach them what kind of style he exactly wanted. And then once they made it, and they sent back to Taiwan for finishing and also patina. So I. For him, uh, initially he said that the ideal is to have one like make made in Taiwan shoes. Yeah. Made in Taiwan shoes. This is probably made in Taiwan. And he used to make it in Taiwan, but it's just leg stitch. And that's the only, only technology available in Taiwan now. Okay. They used to have good year, but now that's all. Mm-hmm. So it's just natural for him to, to, to go to China and make it for proximity. So I think the point is, for Asian manufacturers, the most important thing is to know where to know, like, know where to make it in Asia. Yeah. They have a good understanding of where to make it and how long it's gonna take and quality control. So you don't have to really you know, insist on having made in a certain country. Yeah. But to, more than that, it's important to try to bring out a good pop, good product that can be sold around the world. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean 
in the menswear scene, we have uh, seen a few uh, examples of, like you say, Asian, uh, like J.O. Sal, for yeah. example, in Singapore, mm. who now have their own range of shiny yeah. shoes yeah, mm. that also look incredible. And we have Masloso, who yeah, is yeah. having his own project, mm. and, uh, which I think will sell in Hong Kong yeah, and mm. uh, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And I, I hope at least that we will see more of those mm. in Europe as well, yeah. uh, where they collaborate with these yeah. uh, manufacturers mm. in China. We we get to see hand welded yeah. shoes sold as ready to wear yeah. to a higher extent than what we do today, mm. um, and it, that it also will. Because that's the good thing with the boom we've yeah. seen in, in mm. the classic shoe industry. That for the customers, yeah. there's so much to choose from, yeah. and they the, they keep pushing the prices mm. uh, because uh, the competition is so yeah. fierce. So even if it's tough for uh, many of the yeah. uh, Factories, it's mm. for the customers. Yeah. It's awesome. I think it's it's going to be a trend. This price range, around seven hundred to a thousand euro range. Yeah. If you see this shoe, which is yeah, exactly. it's nice welted. Yeah, and but you see like a steel shank and whatnot, which is yeah, but still it looks more like a bespoke uh, mm. shoe. But definitely, you can see kind of like the where the, the factory kind of mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, versus like a purely handmade. Yeah, mentality you see elsewhere. It's sort of like a mix. Yeah, exactly. it's a mixture. Mm. Yeah, maybe this cork is. I don't know if this. It's still cork paste. Yeah, cork uh, paste. Yeah. Mm. A lot of them, uh, they probably have the shoes broken apart and see what's going on, mm. because all they've been making before was factory shoes. But for them, it's easy to adapt, I think. And, and the price point, of course, for this is 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 good. It's a half factory kind of made, and half handmade for seven thousand. Yeah, exactly. So, where do you see this branch in the coming years? If you look into the uh, the crystal ball, mm. uh, what do you think will happen? Well, it's very hard to see if people accept these kind of shoes. Yeah, of course, you gotta, you gotta try first, right? Mm. Mm. You gotta try first in Japan, of course, because of course many buyers are interested in something this price range. And you gotta try in England, of course, in Biggest market, which is United States. Mm, yeah. Mm. But China is still seems like people still kind of got introduced to new European brands. I think that kind of kind of kind of those honeymoon periods still gonna continue yeah. before they start to discover Chinese made shoes. I think. Yeah. Mm. So it's like ironically, China is still gonna be a while. Yeah, mm. it's not uh, happening yeah. tomorrow. Mm. It will take some time for yeah. it, but it will evolve in a direction where it gets more <laughs> mm. easily accessible. Yeah. And it definitely, gonna, I think it's going to stimulate manufacturers elsewhere. Yeah, for example, Japan and England. Of course, these are competitors. And for the same price range, yeah, if they cannot find a way to meet something yeah, exactly. similar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like I mentioned, the customers will benefit from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, customers of that benefit. Yeah, yeah. Even in Japan, those, oh, uh, in Japan, though, the the hand welted shoes, uh, uh, it's like, I mean, the waist or the bottom is stitched, but there's a big big market for that, and that market initially kind of rose up to compete against high end good year welted shoes from England, like John Love, Evergreen, and Gaziano, and so they're priced similarly. Maybe they don't have the brand name, but they're made handmade, mm-hmm. handmade. So, 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 
anyway, those sort of things will start again. Now with more value-oriented Asian shoes kind of coming into Japan, I think Japanese those handmade shoemakers will have something to think about too. Yeah, yeah it's interesting times. Mm. Uh, Robin Shine, yeah. thank you very much for being part of the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Shoegazing Podcast. For much more on classic shoes, visit shoegazing.com. And to those of you who want to support Shoegazing and make it possible for me to continue to produce high-level content, there is a Patreon page where you can contribute with anything from $3 a month. Both big and small contributions are much appreciated. See shoegazing.com for more info on this. The podcast will be back with a new episode in a short while, that time with Jonathan Church, one of the owners of the Northampton-based brand Shini. So, hear you again soon. <laughs>